Okay. John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Hmm. He has risen. He is risen Hallelujah. This is the second Sunday of Easter. And I discovered in the Lutheran Church calendar, today was listed as Quasimodo Genetti Day, Sunday, the historic name given to this day. Who or what is Quasimodo Genetti? He's the hunchback of Notre Dame. The hunchback was a, of Notre Dame is a French Gothic novel by Victor Hugo, published in 1831. In the novel, Quasimodo is an abandoned child left at Notre Dame and adopted by the Archdeacon Claude Forlillo. Quasimodo was a hideously deformed man. He had a giant hump on his back, a protrusion out of his chest, and he had a, a mole that covered one eye. And if that wasn't enough, he was also deaf. <clears throat> the priest who took him in would become his father, and she, Notre Dame, aka also known as Our Lady, would become his mother. The story goes, he was baptized on the second Sunday of Easter. He was given a new life, reborn from above and welcomed with love into the arms of his heavenly father and his mother, the church. This hideously deformed child, re rejected by the world, found sanctuary peace within the wounds of his Lord Jesus Christ. Up until now, he hadn't been given a name. Upon his baptism, he was given the name he was now. Quasimoto. 
Today is also known as St. Thomas Sunday for obvious reasons, but the historic name comes from the first words of the introduction in Latin of, the, of 1 Peter. Quasimodo Geneti translated means, as in the manner of newborn babes longing for pure spiritual milk of the word. Our NIV translations of 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 reads thusly, quote, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The character of Quasimoto in the novel was the antithesis of us mere mortals. He was definitely ugly on the outside, but pure on the inside where we are just the opposite. Handsome, beautiful, good-looking on the outside. Well, some of us are. I don't know about me. <laughs> but on the inside, we're full of sin. In First Peter uh, chapter 2, some of the sins that we are to rid ourselves of, malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Enough about uh, Quasimodo. What about St. Thomas? a.k.a. Uh, Doubting Thomas. In our Gospel reading, if I can get pages separated, we learn that on the first day of the week, that's the first Sunday of Easter, we find the disciples hiding in a room with locked doors and afraid of the Jewish leaders. This indicates that they did not believe Jesus when he said in John 13, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you this now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have moments of unbelief where we don't believe God will provide for us in one way or another. And we take matters into our own hands, relying on our own strength and intellect and power and might, acting out of fear for one thing or another. From our human perspective, we can have empathy with the disciples' unbelief and fear. After all, they just witnessed their Savior, their Messiah, their Rabbi, tortured and crucified before their very eyes. The very same one they spent day and night traveling with and sh sharing meals and tribulations with one another for the past three years. A loss such as this leaves a hole in the heart where our beloved one used to occupy. We grieve and long for the intimacy we once had with them. I'm certain that many of you have experienced this type of grief that disciples are experiencing. Jesus told his disciples that they would experience grief and would rejoice and that no one would take away their joy. Take a look at John chapter 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? and because I'm going to the Father. 
They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is being brought into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus, as only God has the ability to make promises and keep them, keeps his promises. In the midst of their grieving, Jesus appears, returning just as he promised, entering the room even though the doors were locked. His appearance alone, his passing through the solid doors and walls, would have provided enough evidence that he, the risen Savior, is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, they had seen crucified. Jesus, demonstrating his grace instead of condemnation for the disciples' unbelief. And without the disciples even asking, Jesus shows the disciples the holes in his hands and the wound in his side bringing great joy to his disciples. Now the, dis the disciple Thomas was not hiding out with the rest of the disciples that first Sunday of Easter. The question is, where was he? Why was he not with the others? Perhaps he was not afraid of the Jewish leaders and did not find it necessary. Maybe he believed that Jesus' Jesus's promises and his ammunition not to be afraid. Another thing is, why was he so adamant that he would not believe until he saw the wounds in Jesus' hands and placed his hand in his side when the disciples told him they had seen Jesus alive? There were, at that time, rumors that Jesus had a cousin, and maybe he just wanted to make sure they weren't being deceived. On the second Sunday of Easter, Thomas was with the rest of the disciples. Since this is the second Sunday of Easter, presumably they've been holding up seven days now. The Bible doesn't really tell us one way or the other. Again, Jesus enters the locked room, and without Thomas asking, Jesus tells him, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out, put your hand in my side. Now, this is the same evidence Jesus gave the rest of the disciples on the first Sunday of Easter, even though they were showing their, their doubt by their actions. And Jesus did not condemn them for not believing. Perhaps he told Thomas <clears throat> to stop doubting and believe because unlike the rest of the disciples, he expressed his doubt verbally and in public. Who knows? As you can see, there's plenty of unbelief, of uh, doubting going around, not just Thomas's. Remember, Jesus is, um, now did Jesus just leave his disciples orphaned? No. Remember, Jesus promised not to leave them as orphans. Jesus keeps another of his promises. Our gospel reading for today, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 31, tells us that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are paracletes, 
counselors of the same essence of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, God. Jesus has given the Holy Spirit to every believer, those that have received the gift of grace, his disciples, as a way of staying connected with God. He did not abandon them. In my opinion, the most important reason for giving us the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, is twofold. Quote, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in, uh, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The first responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to mark us, to seal us as we are God's possession. He purchased us at a great, great price, Jesus' blood. The second responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to be a deposit. In other translations, deposit is interpreted as our earnest our pledge of inheritance. Earnest money is given when purchasing property. It's a promise that you're serious about purchasing the property. In fact, if you back out of the deal, the seller gets to keep the earnest money. The gift of the Holy Spirit signifies that God is serious about keeping his promise of salvation by his grace. This is great news for you and I. We don't have no worry, reason to worry about our salvation because God guarantees it. He's the only one who can make promises and keep them. The third responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to reveal all truth. God is truth. His word is truth. And in 1 John chapter 5, the Spirit is truth. There's one last thing that the Holy Spirit has a hand in. That's conforming us to the image of God's Son. In Romans 8, starting in 29, quote, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we, all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, so what is the goal, the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He accomplished this by his death and resurrection and guaranteeing it by his gift of the Holy Spirit. Is that it? Accept huh. his gift of grace, of salvation, and then go back to living our lives, the same old life that we had before? I don't think so. The Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And most of you'll stop there, but 20 is important. Verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this command, go is not the verb make is. So don't worry, we don't have to pack up and go someplace. Better understanding of this scripture would be, as you go about your life, 
make disciples. So in your day-to-day activities, do that. Jesus' followers were known as disciples. The goal and purpose of being a disciple was to become like his rabbi, to learn from him so that he might imitate him. As a believer, a.k.a. a disciple of Jesus, we are to become imitators of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are expected to carry out all the things uniquely purposed by God for us to do. Each of us has a purpose. We're told to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. This is the purpose of our salvation, to become an image of God, an image of Jesus. An image of something is not an exact replica. However, anybody seeing the image should be able to recognize what, or in this case, who the image represents. We should each ask ourselves often, is our image representing representation of Jesus? Is it good? Is it faithful? If not, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to do better. That's what the Holy Spirit's given to us to do, to help us. In order to reflect Jesus to the world around us, we need to know him intimately. To do this, we need to know the truth of who he is and how he conducts himself. We can do this by abiding in Jesus. In uh, John chapter 15, the parable of the vine, Jesus tells us how we're to abide in him as Jesus abides in the Father through obedience. The same obedience spoken of in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Sanctification is an important uh, element of working out our salvation. A pen is sanctified when it's writing. A book is sanctified when it is read because they are carrying out the purpose for which they were created. We are sanctified when we fulfill what God has set us apart to do. Imitate Jesus. Seek and save the lost. Making disciples, brothers and sisters of Jesus that continue to grow the family of God the Father, of which Jesus is the preeminent Son. There is no set way to seek and save the lost. That is why God created us as unique individuals. With unique gifts and talents, each of us can reach the lost in different and varying ways. One of the common things in our approach to be a good, a great image of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in reflecting his love and not hate to the world around us. In doing so, the Apostle Paul tells us that we fulfill the whole law of God. Please bow your hearts in attitude of prayer. Lord, thank you for leading by example and demonstrating how to love the unlovable such as ourselves. Help us to abide, to slow down and take time to spend with you so that we can bear much fruit and ask for your help in loving uh, like you do even the unlovable people in our lives. And to do that and help us by putting a guard over our hearts, our minds, our mouth, and even our very soul and wrapping us up in your compassion, your kindness, your humility, your meekness, your forbearance, and wrap it all up in the bond of perfection, your agape love, so that we might reflect you and your kingdom to the world around us in the most favorable light, bringing glory and honor to both you and your kingdom. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In Jesus' name.